You're listening to The Horse Ownership Experience with Billy Koch and Michelle Yu. The fastest two-year-old of his crop, not this time. Giants Causeway's most brilliant two-year-old ever and a half-brother to Liam's map, sire of two grade one winners in his first crop. TDN said, too talented a horse with too good a pedigree to pass up. The time is now. Don't let this moment pass you by. Not this time, a tailor-made stallion. Not this time, full of run in the Iroquois. Look for his first two-year-olds this year. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Horse Ownership Experience. I'm Billy Koch, founder and managing partner of Little Red Feather Racing Club. Joining me, as always, is the fabulously talented and lovely Michelle Yu. Michelle, oh, thanks for coming thank back you. on again. I, I, each week, like I just, I'm so lucky that <laughs> you decide to keep doing this. Oh, you're so sweet, Billy. Oh, it's not true. I am not sweet at all. Uh, but we do have a great guest, and he's going to join us right away. His name is Michael Netwig. And, uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm a uh, pleasure to be here. Now, listen, you own a lot of horses, and we're going to get into that. I, I was thinking about you just now, and you're kind of like the uh, you're like the West Coast uh, Saul Cuman, and you should take that as a compliment, because we had <laughs> Saul on the show last week. You, I'm sure you didn't. Uh, 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 sell uh, $21 million worth of horses at Keeneland, but that's okay. But you do... No. Yeah, but you're, you're a big factor here in Southern California. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in uh, the horse racing industry. Well, it, it goes way back, really. Uh, I had my first horse, I believe, in 1993. Um, I was in college. Uh, my girlfriend's uh, father was an owner and her uncle trained, um, on the NorCal circuit. And, uh, I always attended the races as a kid. My mom used to take me to, uh, Alameda County fair at Pleasanton and Golden Gate Fields and Bay Meadows. So, um, I grew up around it, not really into it, but, uh, in college had got, uh, a part of a horse and, you know, we were able to win with that horse off a claim and then uh, had the the sadness of after celebrating, taking the picture, they hang the red tag on your horse. <laughs> that you're, happens. You're, it happens. Sometimes that's you're, good. You're, you're back, you know, back at square one. So um, after after that, I, I stayed in uh, with them for a few years. And as my life changed a little bit after school and getting married and uh, took a little bit of a break and uh, – had met some other friends through business uh, after who were involved and wanted me to join a partnership with them to claim a horse. And uh, we did. And, you know, the horse had run a couple times and we bred the horse and the resulting horse was uh, the first horse we bred was the usual QT. Wow. Wow. Who ended up, um, you know, making over a million five. So that was, um, that was kind of how how I got into it uh, more on a full time basis than just you know a little bit more than dabbling. Michael, going into it, saying that your first horse you had a part of was in was in college, was that a big learning curve for you, or did you feel very comfortable because you had kind of grown up going to the races like ah this is going to be old hat to get a horse? No, uh, not at all. Um, I just just going to the races. Uh, and owning horses are two completely different things. And, <laughs> and people think that it's, uh, if there's any similarity to it, it's not, um, if anything, it might hinder you a little bit more than you <laughs> think. Uh, it's two different worlds that you have to get used to. And 
I knew really nothing about it just as uh, going out on the weekends and Friday nights at Bay Meadows at the time. Um, it just looked like something fun to do and that uh, I could get in buying a piece at uh, a minimal number. And while being a starving student and working two jobs, uh, partially to pay for my training bill, um, that, uh, <laughs> it, it, it seemed like it would be all worth it for me. After, after I got that first win, it was uh, something that grabbed me and I knew that I was going to be a part of uh, for a long time. What was it like um, starting off and then kind of like you said, you know, stepping away for a little bit and then rejoining? Um, what did you learn from the first time you were an owner into the second time that you knew, okay, this time we're in it for life? Um, it, it started out just in, I'd have to say, we, we claimed a little bit of a better quality horse. Um, it was a completely different set of partners, a uh, different trainer. It was more of a focus on being in Southern California, uh, my good friend Don Van Campen was uh, involved for a lot of years, and uh, he was the one, along with my friend Jeff Mariani up in uh, the Bay Area, that that kind of put a group together. And uh, that you know, Don lived in near Del Mar, and Jeff and I lived in the Bay Area, and we would come down here for Del Mar in the summer. So we just started claiming something to look for, uh, you know, something to run in the summer, and it's quite a bit different trying to run and win at Del Mar compared to an average day at uh, Bay Meadows or Golden Gate Fields. So a uh, big difference. Michael Netwick joining us here on the Horse Ownership Experience. I noticed that when I look up your horses, I see Jonathan Wong, I see Pete Miller, I see Pete uh, Phil D'Amato, I see Richie Baltus, all with different styles. What can you tell us a little bit about choosing a trainer for that fits your needs? And, and obviously you have very successful yet different trainers. Yeah, it's, um, everybody kind of likes something a little bit different. The way I did it this year with the horses that, uh, that I put the group together to manage. Um, I actually kind of did a draft. I had, pictures and pedigrees i sent them to pete i sent them to phil uh richie and jonathan and i said hey here's uh here's eight horses rate your rate one to eight what do you think you know and and kind of got their feedback and honestly if uh i i had literally I think we had two people that picked the same horse first and everybody else had a different opinion. So they oh, made it very that's awesome. easy. That's really good. That yeah. is so cool. That it, it doesn't usually work like that. Um, but usually, you know, when, when you're seeing a, a more of a horse with the, with the past, I know Billy, you buy a lot of horses uh, out of Ireland. Sure. Um, you kind of see the style trying to decide if you think Phil's going to work for you or pipey or, or whoever it might be. Um, you know, it seems uh, now that I know these guys a little bit more and talk to them and, and see what their specialties are, you kind of get a feeling for what horse you think might work for a trainer. And that's usually um, that's usually how we do it. Well, one of your horses, Abiko, uh, who was uh, second in, in the stake at Santa Anita, but he took you to the Breeders' Cup this year. Is that your first Breeders' Cup or as an, as an owner or had you been there before? And what was the experience like? Uh, it, it was my third experience. Um, I was actually there in 2004. Uh, I think some horse named Singletary. That was a fun, yeah, that was a fun year. <laughs> at, at, 
Lone Star Park. We Billy, were actually, if you don't know uh, about him, I'll tell you all about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, no, we're, we'll talk about yeah. him later. Um, I, I was actually not far from you guys when you were jumping off the second level there. That was amazing. At, uh, after the race, and uh, I was uh, very happy for you guys at the time, very green and didn't know who you were, but you guys were around my age, and to see people, you know, that are younger at the time and being successful in, in you know, in a sport that's very tough to break into at a higher level or can be very expensive to, um, you know, I was definitely envious of you guys, and, uh, you know, we had run one in there in the Philly and Mare Turf that had ran fourth, and uh, in 2010, the usual QT ran. He ran third in the uh, in the Breeders' Cup Mile behind Goldakova and Giopani. That's an amazing race, by the way. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen that race, look it up because the unusual QT had the lead and really, for a second, looked like a winner at about the eighth pole. You must have been going crazy. We were going crazy. It just we had heard the call from Trevor into the turn that he was starting to lose ground, but. You know, when we were watching the TV, we could see that he wasn't. He was really very rank early, which was something that uh, he had normally wasn't. And so when he came running on, it looked like he had the lead and Goldikova kind of kicked in and Giopani passed us at the end late. So for for us to run a horse there of that quality that we had bred and, you know, to run against Goldikova and, you know, who's made – I don't know, 8 million and (laughs) Giovanni made over 6 million. And, you know, you have three or four guys who are just average Joe's from California trying to get in there and, and get a piece. Uh, Everybody thought we were crazy for running and putting up all the money to run, which we probably were. But um, two of the guys had just said, Hey, this is a life experience and, you know, let's take a shot. So where'd the name, the usual QT come from? Um, well, the sire was unusual heat and, mm-hmm. uh, one of our partners had two grandkids, um, Quincy and Terrence, I believe. So he put the usual and then his two, uh, grandkids names in there as a, uh, as, as a, a token to them. That's so, nice. Now, so, it's named yeah. after people never work out usually. <laughs> yeah, but that one did. I, it's my- pretty tough. Michael, you mentioned European horses, and I'm looking through your list, and there's horses like Abiko. There's Gregorian Chant that you own in a partnership with Slam Dunk. There's uh, Nimbostratus that you ran recently. This is becoming, seems to be a popular way for you to acquire horses. What, what, do you, what are the advantages, disadvantages of buying horses, especially in Ireland? Well, the advantages for me is um, I have the groups that I partake in or that I run, um, the 25 or 30 horses that I manage, we're not really wealthy guys. So for us to be able to go and try to go to a two-year-old sale and try and go to buy, you know, and buy a Princess Nor or something, you know, I'm, I'm going to be dueling with Donato and and Chad Brown and, you know, Clarevich and 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 spendthrift and you know i just i don't have the 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 buying power to compete and buy the dirt horses mostly um i've been successful with turf horses and uh acquiring them at what i would consider uh, a more reasonable number and a level that i can participate in and our group can participate in so uh and honestly whether my horse is coming down the lane on the turf or the dirt it makes no difference in feeling to me. So I just think I have a better chance to be successful at a higher level purchasing turf horses than I do necessarily trying to find um, dirt horses. 
Makes a lot so. of sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, I listen, I, I think the philosophy is there. Michael Netwick joining us again here on the Horse Ownership Experience. Michael, you know, you, you talked about uh, managing 25, 30 horses in your partnership, but I don't believe, and I could be wrong here, you're not a public syndicate. This is more of, I assume, friends, business associates, uh, guys who want to be in the game. It, am I correct in saying that? And how many people do you have in your group? Uh, I am not a public syndicate uh, to answer that question first. It, uh, it kind of started as um, two or three guys. Um, Ray Pagano is a longtime friend of mine. Roger Newman, who lives in Del Mar here, has been a, a longtime partner of mine. And now um, through, act, through acquiring Neptune Storm, um, John Rochford and Dan Weiner are two good partners. So I would say I've got probably seven or eight guys that I can call on and that are good guys that, you know, are willing to step up and play the game. Um, you know, and there's a lot of new people with interest. It's hard to get everybody involved in every horse. I don't, you know, I basically manage what I manage for nothing. Don't mark anything up and we split everything up immediately, which is very difficult and, you know, turns into more than a full-time job, but uh, I enjoy, you know, I've also got horses on my own. I, I enjoy winning with a group more than I enjoy winning for myself. Um, it, it's, it's so much more when you have, you know, people to celebrate with and, you know, talk over the future of, of your stakes horse or your Irish horse coming and people watching workouts and sending you XBTV works right, in the middle right. of the night. <laughs> and, and, you That's know, awesome. and, really would do. And, and oh, I do that all the time. Yeah. 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 So, um, and it's, so I, I just keep my group small. Um, I am partnered with slam dunk racing and approximately 18 horses right wow. now. Um, Nick has done a hell of a job. Uh, Nick Casado, as sure. far as I'm concerned, he does what I do probably on a bigger level. He's got more horses. And, uh, what I take out of that is I, I trust him a hundred percent and, you know, he brings a horse and says, Hey, are you interested? Yeah, I'm in. And yeah. he, he takes care of the management side. We have a lot of the same trainers and uh, Nick puts his time in. So I kind of consider the horses I own with Nick as enjoyment. And it, it's just, it gets to be too much. If you have 40, 50 horses that you're managing on your own or, you know, with a few guys and it just, it kind of took, you know, some of the fun away from it for me to where, I just want to come out for uh, a weekend at Del Mar here in the summer and have four or five run and, you know, just want to show up and, and, and enjoy and be a fan. So what what price point do you look at for your horses? I mean, you said, you know, you and your uh, partners are not uh, sultans by any means. So when you're looking at something to buy either privately or at the sales, what is your kind of area that you're looking at? Up until the past probably year and a half, it was probably 50 and under. Uh, Mm -hmm. We were more value buyers trying to make a decent horse. Um, Now, uh, a couple of the guys have stepped up, and we've uh, uh, had had some successful runners. Neptune Storm, who we currently campaign. Um, That group has come up, and uh, John, my friend John Rochford, who's an Irishman who grew up in Ireland and watching the jump races and the flat races, is behind buying some euros so we're now up into i would say you know we keep it like probably in 150 175 and under is uh 
is the most that we'll stretch to. Is it, is that, is it more nervous when you're spending more money? Uh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> to two-year-olds, especially to the two-year-old sales, the pressure is really tough. And to be honest with you, um, we bought yearlings last year and didn't spend quite as much. And um, honestly, the the group, most about half of the group that I bought have not turned out this year. So I, I've, I take it personally. I take it to heart. I apologize to my partners regularly, <laughs> but you know, it, yeah. it, it's tough. But you it know, sounds... you win as a group and you lose as a group, but I'm sure as you know, and Billy knows running, you know, uh, eventually it falls back on somebody. So you end up taking, uh, taking the brunt of it. So I think one of the interesting um, things that you said, Michael, though, and I'm sorry to cut you off is this game is really hard. And it really doesn't it, on all levels, and it doesn't matter how much you you go spend. You could spend. I mean, how many people out there are going to spend two hundred, three hundred, four hundred on a on a two year old in training or on a yearling, and they don't have to pan out. I think the bottom line is it's a, it's hard, and you're not always going to be successful. Uh, it's extremely tough, and just because you pay one hundred and fifty or two hundred for one doesn't mean that it's going to be any more successful than the one you pay twenty five for. So. Um, I, that's another reason I've turned to the European market on some. You can you can catch some with a little bit of a page or see a race or two under them, mm-hmm. and you know have an idea of what you might where you might want to send or what, and have sure. a different style. And you can go into a range to where everybody takes a piece. You get four or five guys, and nobody gets hurt if right. it doesn't work out, and everybody shares in the upside if it does. So um, that's that's been uh, kind of the motto going forward, and uh, it, it seems to work. So, well, it's at been, the moment, it, at least. Yeah, it's so, been a winning formula for sure. Go ahead, Michelle. Um, what do you consider successful? Like you said, oh, I had a couple that didn't pan out. Does that just mean they're not graded stakes types, that they're winning for maiden 20, and that is not successful? Or is it just that they're not, they're, you know, not going to be very competitive at all? You know, I, I purchased, I'll give you uh, an example. Uh, Munnings was pretty hot last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I purchased the Munnings and was able to get in on a couple constitutions before the big boom. Um, one of them was slam dunk that we had sold for a nice profit before we even ran. But um, uh, honestly, the the smiling tiger babies that I had and the uh, – creative cause have turned out to be better than the Munnings and, and <laughs> it just happens. So yeah, mm-hmm. it just happens. You know, the cheaper ones turned out to be you know better than the, the more expensive ones this year. So, you know, and they're winning races, but they're, they're running at lower levels and not, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm very realistic um, when it comes to placement and, and opinions in this game. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, I, I very rarely fight with trainers over where to enter or something. If, if they think we need to run cheaper or whatever, then then that's fine too. But um, we're realistic on what we have, and we need, you know, basically we need to run in the right spots in order to win. And right. if that means that we lose a horse or two, then then so be it. But that's that's what we have to do to stay in the game. I think, so. it's a, I think it's a it's a great attitude. And before we let you go, and you've you've spent more time than us than the, I know. Wait, wait, I, I have promised. one last question. Go Sorry, ahead. I, no. I, I'm gonna, one it's more. Um, uh, it's are you still breeding? Since you bred the usual QT, I mean, were you like I'm going to go out in high note, or are you still trying to accumulate some <laughs> mares? <it>. I, I <laughs> bred it, a breeders' cup horse. I'm out. 
Yeah, you know, well, I'll tell you what, that horse worked out great. The following three didn't make it to the racetrack. We ended up getting one sibling uh, to the races after that, um, out of that mare lunge, and who actually is owned by uh, Nick Casado right oh, really? now. And, oh, funny. Yeah, and uh, through after I had sold to John Liviakis and he had sold to him, but, uh, you know, I, I breed one or two or parts of. It's not something... I, I don't have the patience, I would say. Um, <laughs> I don't like to the wait the four side. years before right. they get to the traces. Yeah, you know, um, and a lot of my partners, uh, they're, you know, getting to be retired guys, and they they, they want the instant action. So mm-hmm. uh, we do still breed a couple, not as many as we did, and that's, that's kind of just the way it is uh, with the current group that we have put together. Well, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you're you're always at the track, which is great. From California, for California people like myself and Michelle, we're big fans of yours. We want you to keep running, keep keep bringing in more stock because we obviously need it. One last question, though, uh, for our first time owners out there who listen to this show, what what's the one piece of advice you would give them? Uh, I would say uh, wait until you can you can join in and buy or join a group and purchase multiple horses buying Mm. one horse isn't isn't a good strategy in my opinion um taking maybe taking a lesser share of three or four than purchasing you know 25 percent or 15 percent of one um try and get with the group that you can spread out a little bit more you'll have a better chance at, at success and um, I think is uh, definitely as you you both know being in the business and that you know the more opportunities you have the better chance you have of being successful. Um, one horse can sometimes carry a barn. Um, having you know 55, 56 horses right now in training, I can tell you that they're not all running and they're not all paying bills, and that you need you know three, four, five that are running and running well. So I would say take advantage of of uh, possibly a higher number in the entry. And um, I I think you'll enjoy it. And if it's not something when your horse comes down the lane, if that isn't something that's the most, you know, one of the most enjoyable feelings in your life, (laughs) then you're in the wrong business. So Mm. um, my, my wife and I have chose not to have kids. So these are technically our kids that run (laughs) down and we, we take everything to heart and we treat them as such. And, you know, when they're running in bigger races and don't get talked about and, you know, you kind of take it as a slant and hope they win. And then you can say, yeah, look, now my horse gets the, gets the credibility. But uh, I would say it's a numbers game, Billy. Yeah. Um, the more, the more you could join in on, even if it's at a lower number to get your feet wet. And then if you decide uh, if you like it, then uh, I'm sure partnerships such as yourself and little red feather will you know, offer opportunities to buyer to buy larger stakes and, or, possibly go out on your own absolutely that that you know uh, it's just great that you guys do what you do to get new people into the game it's it's very tough you know being you know in the 40s and trying to recruit younger people into it it's uh it seems to be uh, a battle that we're fighting but uh i appreciate what you do and michelle does a great job and her husband 
training now too. So I, I wish you guys the best of luck going forward as well. Well, that's very Thank sweet. You. We've only I don't listen. I know a lot of your trainers, and I obviously I'm good friends with Nick, and I only hear good things about Michael Netwig. So you have a great reputation, and we appreciate you being uh, on today and and giving us some of that insight. So thanks very much, and and we'll, I'm sure we will see you at Del Mar this weekend. You got it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the time. All right, Thank Michael you. Netwig, and we'll be right back after Bye-bye. this. Midnight Storm, Striking Sire Line, Grade 1 winner by Pioneer of the Nile, just like champion freshman sire American Pharaoh. Striking Speed, 110 by 133 and 1. Seven-time graded stakes winner on dirt and turf. Defeated 10 Grade 1 winners, including champion Accelerate. Midnight Storm, a tailor-made stallion. Look for his first yearlings this year. All right, we're back on the horse ownership experience. Michelle, Michael Netwig, comments, that was awesome. questions? Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Good, yeah. good get with him. You know, it's funny because, like, he's one of those guys that um, you don't, like, think of him as, like, a big owner. But like he said, he's got parts of 50, 60 head. That's and you do see his name constantly. It's just because he's, like, I don't want to say overshadowed. But, you know, when he's when you're partnering with people like Slam Dunk or, like, Madiket, you know, you end up being the smaller guy, right? But, well, she, but she's a lot bigger than I thought. Well, but I'll tell you, you know, and he's very recognizable. For those of you who don't yes. know who he is, I mean, he's a he's a. If you saw him, you would know. Him. Yeah, he's red hair, and 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 he's you know he's a he's a strong, big, strong guy, and uh, you see him at the track, but he's not, he's not like a big mouth. You right. know what I mean? Like he's not like me, who's an idiot, you know, screaming and yelling and that. throwing chairs <laughs> and acting like a complete you know, fucking idiot most of the time. Billy, He's actually, just used the F word. I can say that about myself. Um, anyway, so Michael Netwood, great job. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I know you're still listening. And we're going to, we'll tweet it out later to, uh, I think he's at Mikey Fish Eyes. We should have yeah. asked him about that, but I, I know. I thought about it, but um, I didn't know if it was like, like an undercover name. It could be undercover. Michelle, what, uh, what did we miss? What, what happened? Last? It seems Not quiet. Much. It seems quiet it is. right now. It's quiet. It's the Bing Crosby meet. I mean, you know, obviously we're, we're breathing after Breeders' Cup. Um, we had two graded stakes this weekend, the Miss Revere at Churchill Downs for Princess Grace and the Bob Hope at Del Mar, which went to Red Flag, who was really impressive. Um, but, you know, this, this kind of Let me ask you a question about that. Was he impressive or did nobody else show up? I mean, he was impressive. If you watch, I felt like when I, because we had to watch the replay 150 times to see it was going on around the turn, right? And on the turn, like when everyone else was just going backwards right. pretty much, I mean, he looked beautifully extended right there. And, you but know, he didn't switch, he, was, he didn't switch leads. I thought it was weird. He, he's, but if you watch all of his races, he's been super green in okay. every out. Okay. But that's just like him. So, like, you know, his first race, he had some mistakes. And didn't run well. His next race, he won. He still like did that same thing where he doesn't switch leads, and he kind of puts his head funny. He he's still a lot of greenness for him. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, what do we got? A phone? Emergency, emergency alert. Uh oh, Amber alert. I don't know. Hopefully, it's not like a hurricane or something. Oh, yeah, I hope so too. Um, All right. So and and we have, but we have uh, a couple uh, good races this weekend, and then we have the turf festival, which is going to be awesome. Because How, the Turf um, yeah. Festival has the Grade 1 Hollywood Derby, the Grade 1 Matriarch, the Grade 2 uh, Hollywood Turf Cup, the Red Carpet, I think, is that weekend. Or maybe it's this weekend. Maybe it's Sunday. I don't know. Uh, then you, you have the, the boys and girls races, the Cecil B. DeMille and the Jimmy Durante, Jimmy I believe, Durante. are next weekend. Mm-hmm. So it's the, gonna... the Red Carpet is 
Thursday. It's Thursday. And then it's okay. the Hollywood Trip Cup is Friday. The right. Derby, the Seabiscuit, and the Jamie Durrani is Saturday. The Matriarch and the Cecil B. DeMille are Sunday. Yeah. This week is the Native Diver and the Cary Grant. <laughs> the Native Diver is like a five-horse field. It's mid I think it's going to be less. Oh, really? Yeah, Who's I think out? the mid-court, my, mid-court might scratch. Oh, no. Well, that's too bad. And then you got one Philly. Yeah, I saw that. She just beat us, Stellar Sound. Yeah. She's very nice. So... Okay. Definitely, with with the 150 classic horses from Bob Baffert's barn retiring, um, there's some slim pickings <laughs> right now. So if you got a three year old on the upswing, you might as well look to like the next what? stakes race because that sounded very years. very cynical from you, Ms. Michelle. You Hanson. Really? Yes. No, it was just because no, all, it the, did. all the art, like literally three quarters of the Breeders' Cup Classic field retired. It is weird. I, I you know. I've said this for years, and I've probably said it on the show a thousand times, but it bothers me that the breeding industry drives the racing industry. Right. Because we have to work together. Because if you don't create these stars and you don't have them around, like we're just going to lose fans and we're going to lose players and we're going to lose people. Because well, the interest like, bugs me is they're not breeding right now. So, like, I mean, do they really need that extra month in the pasture? Like, we 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 instituted races like yeah, the Pegasus and the um, uh, Saudi Cup now that they could run in both of those and make it in time for breeding season, which right. traditionally opens middle of February. But I and guess there's just honesty, too much risk. Really want well, I guess I mean, there's too much risk. You know, it's like you look at a horse like Authentic, and I read uh, a quote from from Baffert, and I I think I read something from Ned Toffey from Spendthrift who just said, you know, he had done enough. What more is he going to do? He won the Derby, he won the Haskell, and he won the Breeders' Cup Classic. Like, what's he going to do next year that's going to be better than that? And, I mean, as much as I hate it, like, he has a point. Well, just to prove that you can maintain, like, I mean, that, yeah, you were a good three-year-old and you, uh, you, he got better later, right? Now, would Authentic have won Kentucky, Kentucky Derby in May? I don't know. He was a lot more green in yes. May and he wasn't really flourishing like he did at the end of the year. So would, would he now be in training because he ran fourth in the Derby instead, even if he did win the Breeders' right. Cup Classic? That I mean, you know, the, the circumstances this year really played to Authentic being as green as he was early on in his um, his campaign, but I just feel like he, at this point, if, if Spence Riff was like, look, we're going to run him in the Pegasus and the Saudi cup, and then he's going to the breeding shed, but we want everyone to make the reservations. Now I guarantee you people would still make their reservations and pay their upfront money. Like, I mean, it's life full stands and nurses anyways, but you know right. what I'm saying? Like they yeah, would yeah, pay yeah. like their deposit. So even if he ran like dead last in both of those people, like, no, I'm still going to breed to him. Yeah. I feel like, do you not? I, I don't know. I don't okay. know because I think people a lot of times, and you see this with handicapping, um, mm-hmm. when you're looking at the form, what do people look at and and hold the most weight for? The last race, right? Right. A lot of people when they're when they're betting and they're handicapping, they want they look at that last race. They can't for some reason they can't say, okay, what happened this day to uh, that 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 he didn't run his normal race. You know what? They can't just look past it. So maybe the same thing is with the breeding, and that your last impression, that impression of him wiring the Breeders' Cup field, is obviously the the best thing you could possibly do. Um, I, mean, I don't know. Possibly. I don't know. But like you said, it's, it's still disappointing. Like, is there more he could have done? Yes, there's more he could have done. Um, you know, would it have been sad if he didn't? follow up with wins sure i mean because obviously he didn't go on to win the preakness but i think that he's proven enough is a lame excuse in my opinion okay 
That's uh, you're absolutely fair. What do you have this weekend? Anything good? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, we're we're not running anything. Who's going to get your vest? Uh, well, Ryan's going to come down this week. Okay. All right. I'm going to leave it. I mean, I'm we gonna... might be claiming, but we're I'm we're gonna, not running anything. I'm going to turn it in tomorrow. I'm going to okay. turn your vest in tomorrow. Just let me know where you where you put it, I so will, I can. I will give it to Janine Sahadi. Oh, Janine Sahadi. I Thank mean, is you there both. anybody safer than Janine Sahadi right? getting something to? No one's too? getting it from Janine. Ain't that the ain't the, that the truth? The commandress. well thanks so much for uh michael network for coming on the show today really appreciate his comments thank you to taylormade stallions and to delmar and to santa anita for always sponsoring us and michelle and i we're working on something exciting for next year so um we're probably going to have a couple more shows that that take actually one more show to take us into the turf festival and then maybe we'll do a show after that and then we have our usual break so uh, thank you for listening to everybody out there, and we're working on something for next year that might be make this show even more exciting. Can you imagine that? Is it going to be on camera? It might be. We forgot you to know, do the camera the, stuff. You know, the only part about like, because uh, what you're ta- what you're alluding to, there is a lot of on camera I- yeah. involved in that. Yeah. And the only bad thing is, so many times, like, I mean, I'm sitting here in like my jammies. Yeah. With, like, no shirt That's what on. people want. That I mean, hey, hold then- on a second. <laughs> I don't want people out there thinking I'm misogynistic. I am not misogynistic. Michelle and I have a mutual admiration, love for each other. When she says she's standing up there without her shirt off, your people just their coffee just spilled. (laughs) No one. I mean, gee, many Christmas. I mean, sometimes I've done this show on the toilet. I mean, there's like so just having it on camera would really ruin that for me. All right. Well, we'll we'll see what we can do. Thanks everybody. Appreciate you listening. We'll be back next week. This is the Horse Ownership Experience. Bye. Where's your bye thing? I said bye. You I talked did... over it. Sorry, say it again. Bye. You're listening to the Horse Ownership Experience with Billy Koch and Michelle Yu. Daddy Longlegs, Scat Daddy's only proven son at stud in North America. Crowned champion freshman sire in Chile, Daddy Longlegs has already sired three graded stakes winners from his first two crops of runners, including a champion two-year-old colt. A talented runner himself who won multiple graded stakes on multiple surfaces, he's passing that versatility onto his progeny with stakes winners on dirt and turf. Daddy Longlegs, a tailor-made stallion. Call today to book.